0: Welcome to A Wild New Work, a podcast about how to divest from capitalism and the norms of modern work and step into the soulful calling of these times we live in, which includes the call to rekindle our relationship with the earth. I'm Megan Leatherman, a mother to two small kids, writer, amateur ecologist, and vocational guide. I live in the Pacific Northwest and I'm your host today. Hi friend and welcome. I hope this episode finds you well and uh, in the midst of something beautiful or lovely right now I'm uh, watching the rain fall on these little tiny birds that are trying to find seeds in our grape leaf arbor and uh, I'm getting over a little cold which you might hear in my voice so it's kind of a Rainy day, getting over sickness vibe here right now, and I hope that suits you in some way. We're after I'm coming to you after Imbolc, uh, which we sort of marked on February first, but of course, is this entire time, these few days around that date, which is about the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. So, we're definitely shifting more toward spring and the season of. That rebirth and new life but it's not here yet and a lot of us have to practice the art of longing and anticipation and feeling our feelings when we want something that may not be here yet and um, that's a lifelong practice and I think something that it can really temper us and help us become healthy adults who can hold that feeling, that desire to sort of want something to be here that's not here yet, and the sort of sweetness inside of that longing or that anticipation. And our theme for this podcast season is on connection, our vast connection. And today I want to continue that conversation by talking about blood. Last week we explored water and how we are made up of over half water, our bodies are not these like totally solid inert things, of course. So today I want to talk about how that water flows through us via our blood and what that has to show us about how to contain and channel our life's energy and what even what it even means to be alive right now as inhabitants of cultures that are not very alive and maybe even are intent on death. And I'm trusting that we can keep holding on to the nuances of all of that as we explore what it means to be alive but not quite in that season of rebirth and color and all of that that comes in the spring which should be here you know in a month or two so I hope it's a good episode for you I think it's going to be an interesting one for sure and I'm really honored that you're here I have one announcement before we dive in, which is that I'm teaching a weekend workshop series called Eating Capitalism. And it's guided by a book called Caliban and the Witch by Silvia Federici, and it's about the origins of capitalism. And there's a lot about capitalism that we might want to resist, I mean, being forced to work or everything turning into a commodity or this pressure to always be productive. Of course, we might want to resist that but I'm really curious what it might be like if we actually took more of a fungal approach, like these fungi that can digest and metabolize toxins and poisons in the soil and turn them into something else. I'm curious what it might be if we took that approach with capitalism. What if we actually digested the true origins of this way of exchanging, and living, and being, and really understood where it came from, what it took for it to emerge, and how we today, exactly where we are, could transform the poison of that into new energy for our lives, into new soil. So over the weekend of February 23rd, we'll be moving through the content of Federici's book and really shifting our perspectives about how we got here and what's possible for us now as people who can see what capitalism has done to our world and who want to see that world continue to thrive and and come back from this brink that some of us feel like the earth is on. And for us personally who want to experience more life and feel like the soil of our lives is richer and Um, More fertile. So you don't have to read the book in order to participate, although I do highly recommend it. And you don't have to attend every session live if you can't make it. They will be recorded. We'll meet over five 90-minute sessions, and there'll be a blend of teaching, guided visualizations, and embodiment, reflection, and of course questions and sharing. The cost is $50, and there are discount codes available if that's not feasible for you right now, and you can sign up at wildnewwork.com slash eating capitalism, or at the link in the show notes, and I would love to have you, and reach out if you have any questions. Thank you to the anonymous donor who chipped in to support this show last week. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate all of you who helped to make this work sustainable for me. If you're listening and you would like to do that as well and are in a space where you can chip in once or monthly, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash Megan Leatherman and that link is also in the show notes. All right, well, why don't I take us into our opening invocation and then we can dive in. So wherever you are, you can just notice your body and time and space. Here you are in your life right now. You might want to take a slow breath or a deeper breath. May each of us be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures that we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible, and I'm grateful to the Multnomah, Cowlitz, Bands of Chinook, and Clackamas tribes, among many others who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. Okay, well, before I dive into blood, I want to just say that this was a really vast topic in line with our theme of vast connection. Blood is a huge topic because it touches on not only what blood is, but how it's circulated, um, what it's for, what it's not for, you know, diseases that come up. And so I did my best when researching blood to check multiple sources and use common sense, but it is possible that I will get some things wrong. So please use your best judgment and do your own research if something doesn't quite seem right to you and feel free to, you know, let me know. But I want to start with a little anatomy lesson so that we're all on the same page, and then we'll dive into what this could mean for how we live. So what is blood? (laughs) The simplest definition I could come up with is that it's an internal bodily fluid that carries essential nutrients to the tissues of the body and carries waste out of the body. Some creatures, like humans, transport blood through their bodies via a cardiovascular system that contains arteries, veins, capillaries. Our blood, in addition to supplying nutrients and carrying away waste, also helps to regulate our temperature and our pH levels in our bodies, which are essential functions. Other creatures, like insects, may have an organ that pumps fluid kind of like a heart, but they don't have a circulatory system. So their blood just flows openly throughout their bodies and they absorb oxygen in different ways. They don't use their blood or their, or that liquid to carry it through their bodies. In humans and most vertebrate animals, blood is red because our red blood cells contain a protein called hemoglobin, which contains iron atoms and that gives our red blood cells a red hue hemoglobin is what enables the red blood cells to transport the oxygen and carbon dioxide around our bodies other creatures might have differently colored blood like spiders snails crustaceans and mollusks which include octopus and squid in their blood they use a protein called hemocyanin which is blue because it contains copper atoms instead of iron so There are other colors of blood like green, I think I even saw purple, and interestingly, life can even exist without blood altogether. Jellyfish have no need of it because they just absorb oxygen right through their jelly skin and are almost totally made up of water. They don't have to circulate the nutrients or oxygen through their bodies. So... I want to talk a little bit now about blood's journey through the human body so you get a sense for how it flows and just how miraculous this substance is that we don't need to create, we don't need to earn, we don't need to ask it to do anything, it just is here making us alive, animating us. So this is really an incredible process, especially given the fact that each of us grew into a person with a circulatory system from one egg and one sperm that came together, these tiny seeds that housed all of the instinctual knowledge and material that we needed to create these large, very complicated, complex systems we call our bodies. So blood is created in your bone marrow, in the soft, spongy part inside of your bones, and the bone marrow produces stem cells, which are cells that have the potential to become almost any type of cell, and many of them become blood cells. Blood is made up of three things. You have your red blood cells, which carry oxygen and carbon dioxide and make up the majority of the solid part of the blood. You've got your white blood cells, which are your immunity system helpers. They go and sort of attack, you know, bacteria or viruses that enter into your body. And you've got platelets, which clot your blood if you get a cut or an injury so that you don't just keep bleeding unless, of course, you have hemophilia, which is a horrible disease um, where that part of your blood isn't functioning correctly and you can't clot or stop the bleeding. And then you have the fluid part of the blood, what carries these three types of cells, and that's called plasma. And the plasma also transports hormones, electrolytes, and other really essential materials that the body needs. So all throughout your life, from the very, very beginning, if your heart has been functional, then without you asking it to or directing it or putting it on a plan or a schedule, it has circulated your blood <laughs> all day, all night. So the right side of your heart receives the blood that has already flowed through your body and is deoxygenated. It doesn't carry its oxygen anymore. And that is blood comes through the right side of your heart, and then the heart sends that blood to your lungs to be re-oxygenated and to dump the carbon dioxide waste, which you exhale out. Once the blood is re-oxygenated in the lungs, because you've taken an inhale, it's pumped back into the left side of the heart and sent out into the body again via the arteries, which are large muscular tubes that are pumping oxygenated blood around. The oxygenated blood is pumped into tiny blood vessels called capillaries, which deliver the oxygen to the cells in your organs, your tissues, etc. And once the red blood cells have delivered their oxygen, they're sent back up to the heart via your veins, where they'll start the process again. And this loop takes about one minute for the red blood cells to journey all around the body and come back to the heart again. I couldn't really find out how a red blood cell knows where to deliver its oxygen in your body. Somehow they just know. And ideally, every cell is tended to with oxygenated blood all throughout your life. There's definitely an intelligence here for sure. And for hundreds of years, people have tried to find a substitute for real blood or a way to artificially create it, but no one has. It's a very finely tuned very rich, truly magical substance. Someone very ill or injured who is in need of healthy blood and receives it can really be brought back from the brink of death. Um, And there's a really interesting history of about blood transfusions and people tried, they tried animal blood, milk, beer, water, um, all throughout, I think especially like the 17th century, they were trying to test ways to uh, replace bad blood or to change people's, uh, if they had a disease or an illness or a madness, they would try giving these different substances and more often than not, they would fail very grotesquely and um, sadly. And a lot of that is outlined in this book uh, by Rose George that I'll link to in the show notes as well. But the point is that there's there's really no substitute for actual human blood, and it's a really incredible substance. So I think there are a couple ways that this that we are most obviously connected through our blood, which the first is that the oxygen that gives our cells the energy that they need to function, the oxygen that is delivered by our red blood cells, is created by organisms that photosynthesize, by the algae, trees, by photosynthesis synthesizing bacteria in the ocean there's no way that we could survive and have the oxygen that we need without the green beings all around us both the ones with roots but also the ones that inhabit the water it's kind of incredible that so much oxygen is created inside of the ocean inside the water and that that comes out into our environment so that we can breathe it Almost all beings have a circulation system of some kind that sustains them. Circulation really is a key to life, the absorption of nutrients, the release of them, and the reabsorption of them. It happens within us and outside of us. Entire ecosystems are circulating energy, not wasting anything, making sure that all of the energy is used and put into the areas that need it and then released through heat. On and on it goes. It's so natural, but sometimes we forget this necessity to circulate and what it means and how to live it and just be it as natural as it is. Since humans began living in a settled way with agriculture and civilization beginning around you know, ten to 12,000 years ago, We started to hoard resources. We stored grain and we had to protect it from others who might want to steal it. We developed hierarchies to say, you know, you can have this much and you can have that much. And Some people had more resources than others, and there wasn't a free exchange or flow of energy like is so natural in the ecosystems around us. And that has continued on until today, when a few people with a lot of power hoard so much of the money and resources that everyone else needs. But we can see how unnatural this is when we bring it into a larger context, Imagine if we tried to hoard the oxygen in our body, if we were worried, you know, there's not enough oxygen in the world, so I need to collect as much as I can and then hold on to it. We would never exhale (laughs) and then we couldn't inhale either, so we wouldn't take on any new oxygen in and then we would, you know, eventually asphyxiate or die. Look at what happens when we try to hoard water by putting it behind dams. The water can't flow and it becomes stagnant and toxic it can't support life anymore. Other animals don't hoard like we do. Some of them might keep small food stores like a squirrel that hides away its walnuts, but no one else is like taking a ton more than they need, defending it from others, and then waiting to like sell it in exchange for something else, right? It's kind of absurd when you look at how humans have decided to manage resources compared to the rest of the natural world. In a healthy ecosystem, food and water and air and sunlight all circulate freely. You don't have to buy, like the bear isn't buying sunlight or fresh water, right? And there's a certain equanimity that we don't really see in human civilizations. We would do really well to remember that the unchecked accumulation of something is generally unhealthy. Too much cell growth in the body can become cancer. Too much water and a place floods. Too much sunlight and nothing can rejuvenate. And too much money can be a poison too. We're all in a delicate ecological balance. And it would be really smart and great if more of us could reconnect to the idea that resources are meant to flow to and through us freely that we don't have to hold on to every single thing, that the opportunities, the compliments, the money, the things, the experiences that flow to us can do so naturally. They can be accepted, maybe enjoyed, and then they can flow out of our lives. We can be part of this circulatory way of living. It's so natural to us. It's happening inside of us every minute of every day. In a healthy circulation system, the waste of one being is able to quickly be reused by another. So the oxygen that's a byproduct of photosynthesis is readily available to us and other beings to breathe in. The deer poop that we might see in the forest is immediately available to bacteria and other critters, usually dissolving into or enriching the soil within a matter of days or weeks. And I think we all know that most of the waste of human culture is not easily absorbed into the environment. Our plastics, but also like the sheer volume of waste that we're putting into the environment is more than can elegantly be reused. In a circulatory system that's working as designed, Red blood cells, platelets, and white blood cells can go where they are most needed and do what they're meant to do so that healing can occur. The way that we circulate resources in most human cultures today is really janky and convoluted because we have deemed some places and people worthy of health and vitality and support, worthy of the input of resources, and others unworthy. We've decided to mine and extract resources from places like the Congo, but we're unwilling to make it an exchange. We refuse to pour resources back into the ecosystems and the people there, or we refuse to even entertain the idea that, you know, we don't need these devices anymore and we can stop mining and extracting. But when a part of the body is cut off from circulation, when a part of the body is cut off from that inflow and outflow, the tissues in that area really suffer, and suffer quite quickly. They become cold, rigid, they might become discolored, and they can eventually die off or require amputation. And one of the most obvious impediments to healthy circulation in us individually today seems to be anxiety. When we feel unsafe or panicked, Blood is channeled to our most vital organs, and less is circulated around our extremities. So we might have cold hands or feet, or they might become discolored. We might breathe rapidly, trying to take in more oxygen, but feeling like we can't. Most of our bodies know how to circulate our blood properly, and feeling settled in ourselves, surrendering to the intelligence of our bodies can really help with that, And I would like to believe that on a larger level, it could also show us how culturally to circulate resources more fairly and broadly without judgment and deciding who and what is worthy of certain resources and who's not, but really allowing things to flow as they want to and as naturally as they do in our bodies. In uh, March of 2021, I was noticing that a couple of my toes were turning like kind of purple at the tips, and they were cold a lot, and kind of numb, and just uncomfortable. And it was odd because you know the weather was getting warmer it wasn't like the coldest part of the year and I just couldn't I tried a couple different things and couldn't figure it out so eventually I went to the doctor and um, the person I met with said that it was Raynaud's syndrome which is a I think kind of common syndrome where you just have like really poor circulation in your extremities and it can be severe mine wasn't severe but you know when your toes like start turning purple it's kind of concerning. And so this person I met with said, you know, it's just something you live with and uh, I think she might have recommended just keeping my feet warm and that's it and you just live your life. And I remember like really being confused because it didn't make sense to me that I would just spontaneously develop this syndrome. And when I sort of checked in with myself about it, I realized that you know, I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old and I was trying to run my business and I was a partner and we were still very deep in the pandemic and not sure and trying to navigate all of that and what to do and when and with whom and it was a really stressful time in my life and I realized that my like internal clenching and the sort of perpetual anxiety that I was in was probably contributing to this uh, experience in my toes. And so I didn't get any treatment and I didn't do anything about it. I What I did was just focus on my level of anxiety and managing more of that. And sure enough, the toes resolved on their own. So that's not like a meant to be like a clinical diagnosis or to give you any medical advice. But I do think that this perpetual anxiety that is sort of you know, flowing through our culture and through so many of us in this world right now can often be seen in the body's circulatory system. And um, I think it can be really soothing to tend to some of the holding and the clenching and see if we can even just breathe into the vast sort of circulatory network that is alive right now. Because a healthy circulation system is expansive. It sends blood to every single part of your body, every crevice, every part that you might even deem unworthy, right? I imagine it as like this warm, fresh breeze that travels through every corner of my house, sort of bringing the vitality from outside into my space And I just wonder what it would be like if we could allow more fresh air into our lives, literally into our spaces, but also through our breathing and seeing if we can sort of imagine breathing through every last little capillary so that the entire circulation system is sort of honored and online and able to sort of teach us as the wise teacher that it is, teach us how to circulate and flow in our own lives. I think metaphorically we could do this by just kind of relaxing into whatever wants to come into our lives. You know, the circulation is all around us. It's already happening. The ecosystems that we're part of are circulating heat and energy the weather is circulating, we are in constant exchange with the trees and the algae and the bacteria in the ocean that are photosynthesizing, constantly exchanging carbon dioxide and oxygen. So all we have to do is let it in to be part of it. you know. So let the fresh air in, let the fresh water in, go swimming in the river, let the moonlight stream in and let it, then let it all go out. It can all go, right? There's more where that comes from. It feels so refreshing to imagine just being part of this huge circulatory system where fresh oxygenated blood flows in and I can release what's complete and send it back out to bless someone else. It is so safe to inhale and to exhale. Like I said earlier, as of today, no one has been able to recreate blood. There is an artificial version that is just red blood cells, but no one has been able to create the full, robust version, and this is why donating blood is so helpful and and why blood banks are essential. There's no other source for high-quality blood transfusions than human-donated blood, and it's also why there is a large industry built up around plasma, which is running basically unchecked, and, you know, is both an important source of income to people and a necessary product for those with certain health conditions who need donated plasma, but it's also kind of textbook capitalism, (laughs) because it's an exploitative industry where the literal life force of people is being drawn out, and they're incentivized to give more and more and more, possibly more than is really safe for them to do. And they're getting paid pennies for it compared to what the pharmaceutical companies are making off of the products that they engineer with that donated plasma. So here again, we have this like precious, truly scarce resource because a lab can't create it, it can't be manufactured. And then we can see like how industry and capitalism comes in and turns it into something that is exploitative and dangerous and, you know, in some ways a good thing because, of course, people need plasma and blood, but at what cost? And is this sort of the way that we want to be managing that and getting it to the people who need it? While I realize how necessary blood plasma are to people with certain conditions or injuries who really need it, I do find it a relief to know that no lab has been able to replicate what is flowing in my veins and arteries right now, and that this complex current of life also flows within most other animals and insects and other beings on this planet. The things that can be created by humans, the technology we've created, what we can do in a lab is remarkable. But I think we need to remember that it's not life. We can't create blood. We can create things that are sort of like blood. We can find ways to extract blood and get it into other people. But we can't create the blood itself. You know, we can fly inside of a metal plane to go visit these vibrant places and landscapes, but we can't manufacture those places. We can't create those complex ecosystems and landscapes. We have built rockets that can travel to the moon, yeah, but we can't come close to creating the moon. We could even, we can clone a sheep, apparently, (laughs) but we can't create the original source of life that she came from, those somatic cells that she came from. So this is really important to remember that so much of what our culture is creating and telling us to spend our energy on are things that are not life, not capital L life. Real life is what's flowing in your body right now. Real life is the way that plants eat sunlight and turn it into food for other beings and give off the waste that we can breathe. Real life is the powerful electromagnetic field of your heart, which can extend up to three feet outside of your body. I think what counts as real life is that which is part of a balanced circulation system, what creates more life by being here. And I think a lot of us need to relearn what counts as real, what counts as life, because we've become so used to artificial versions of it, and we can lose sight of what is actually animated and inspired and the sort of source of everything. I mean, of course you can make an argument here that everything is life, even what's, you know, artificial, because it's all here and the planet is just going through a big change like it has before and everything will eventually become something else. You know, you could say that it's all part of a long-term circulation system and okay, I get that, but We know that disrupting the planet's natural circulatory system is really hurting us right now, and it's hurting a lot of other beings. And we know that our lifetimes are short, and I would like us to really enjoy them and make the most of them. So... If that's what we're aiming for, why not remember what it means to be part of a greater intelligence that is circulatory, and why not put our efforts toward rolling with that instead of these more artificial versions of it? So what would it mean for you to direct more and more of your energy toward the activities or the relationships or the places that felt alive to you, as alive as the crimson tributaries flowing through you right now or as alive as the rivers you see flowing outside of your body over the body of the earth. I would be really curious to know what it would mean for you to go further and further towards that capital L life and generating it and um, giving it more room to flow through you too. I want to end our time together today with um, a few thoughts about the heart. And the heart really is an incredible organ. Like I said, it has a very strong electromagnetic field, which can be picked up, you know, via an electrocardiogram um, from outside of the body. And your heart and your brain in your head are in constant communication. And your heart actually sends more information to your brain than the other way around, So oftentimes we think that like the mind is controlling everything in the body or like the the brain is dictating everything about the body's functions, but actually the heart is sending a lot more information and directives to the brain. And in the womb, your heart formed before your brain and it can keep beating even when brain activity has ceased. So it is the first and the last of us. And one way that we can very quickly and deeply nurture ourselves and cultivate more life within us is through finding coherence between the heart and the brain. And this is something that's been studied extensively through an organization called the HeartMath Institute, which I'll link to below in the show notes. Um, And their definition of coherence is, quote, Heart coherence is a state of cooperative alignment between the heart, mind, emotions, and physical systems. Personal coherence practices can help calm your nervous system, neutralize stress reactions, and discern better choices. One of the major causes of stress is a lack of coherence in our interactions. And it's a little hard to describe in words, but I'm sure you have felt coherence before. For me, it's this sense that just like, all of my channels are open. My energy can just flow. It's not like a, a crazy alert state. It's just a very natural sort of relaxed peace and alertness. It's like my whole system kind of finds the right tune and comes into harmony with itself. Um, and it's, fairly easy and simple to cultivate and it's a practice that you can come to over and over again Um, and I think if we can cultivate a little more literal coherence between the heart and the brain I think the idea according to the HeartMath Institute is that we could create social coherence and cultural coherence and that that can extend you know, around our world. So I want to share some like three really quick ways that you can create coherence in your own system and then talk about how that could extend into our lives before we wrap up. So this is super simple. It can be a little more complicated than this, but here's a simple version of creating coherence between your heart and your brain. So what you can do is just take a moment to get still and bring some attention to your heart You might imagine, like, breathing directly into your heart, or you could put your hand over it. And then you want to bring to mind something or someone that makes you feel joy or love or thankfulness. And then after a moment or two, see if you can really stay in that feeling, not letting the mind get too far off, but just staying in that feeling sense and amplifying it even by bringing in some enthusiasm or hopefulness or inspiration and just kind of linger inside of those good feelings for as long as you want to. And you can imagine these feelings as colors or rays of light that are traveling from your heart up into your mind, into your bloodstream into every organ and every part of your body so it's very simple that's it you bring attention to your heart you pull up something or someone that makes you feel great or joy or whatever word fits for you you stay there as long as you can or want to and you imagine those good feelings sort of traveling into the mind and into the rest of the body and there's a ton of resources on the Heart Math Institute's website if you want to go deeper or try other practices. But that's it. It's just sort of coming into, I think, what is a very natural state. And we truly live in an incoherent time, right? The heart and the brain of this time that we're in is really out of sync. But we can cultivate an internal coherence that does spread outward, I do believe that it's possible that what we cultivate inside of us spreads to others. You know, if you think if the heart does have an electromagnetic field of three feet, then when I hold my kids or hug my spouse, if I'm in coherence, then in theory, their heart will pick up on that as well. And those, you know, smooth, calm waves can flow Uh, you know, into their heart and their system as well. So there's a lot of science that sort of is catching up to this more intuitive wisdom, and I really encourage you to look into coherence if it sounds appealing to you. I do think also we can cultivate a larger sense of coherence just in our lives by remembering the real miracle of being alive and the fact that our bodies, hopefully, can create blood when we need it Our bodies can send that blood to all the areas of our bodies that need it and need oxygen. It can do that until we don't need blood anymore, until we die. And we can also cultivate coherence by remembering that our single bodies who are doing this are mirrors of a larger system of circulation and balance that we're also a part of. And we can cultivate coherence by putting our energy toward the things that feel coherent to us, that feel like they make sense, they're congruent, the heart and the brain of it are synced up. And that might mean relating to work in a healthy way for us, whether that's like containing it or embracing it or, you know, whatever fits for you, relating to work in a healthy way. And also, whenever we can, working toward the things in service of the things that are life-giving, really remembering what is real, what's alive, and how wonderful and holy that is, and feeling kind of embraced by this larger circulatory system that we are part of as someone yourself who is real and alive and wonderful and holy. So that's what I have for you today, my friends. I hope that this helps you to feel connected to something larger than you because you are. That's just the fact of the matter. And what your body does day in and day out is truly spectacular. And again, I find it really refreshing and a relief that it can't be manufactured um, that it's the real deal that it's just happening without any like gatekeepers or paperwork (laughs) or approval um, and it will continue to happen way after we are gone and that's just really a relief to me and I hope it is to you too um, if you'd like to go deeper together, you can check out my upcoming workshop series called Eating Capitalism at a awildnewwork.com or at the link in the show notes. Thank you again to all of you supporting the show and helping it to become real in the world. And if you would like to do that yourself this week, you can visit the link in the show notes or buymeacoffee.com slash Megan Leatherman. I will be back with you next week to continue this discussion on our vast connectedness Take such good care until then, and I'll see you on the other side.